Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. This is all about wine, the top show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people on wine more confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had many people on the program. I, I, I love that. In the night show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash all about wine BTR. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash all about wine BTR. And now, all about wine is on. Here's the drop. Oh, that whistler. We're going to have to have a talk with him. You know, I mean. Always, always do that during every show. Well, yeah, he every show. Yeah, it's it's free for them, so what the heck? What can you do? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, oh, well. Oh, well, he's, he's happy. He's thrilled. He's drinking wine and having a good time, so we can't complain. Hope everyone else out there is drinking wine and having a good time. Listen to all about wine. That's That's always good, too. <laughs> and, here we are. Uh, and here we are. Yeah, October seventeenth. And if you're listening to us live on Facebook, welcome. If you're listening to us on archives, then welcome. And we have a lot of archive listeners, which is always cool. Yeah. Take a look and then we are sure of live listeners. We got a few things to talk about tonight. Not a yeah, uh, some some interesting stuff. I thought anyway. You know, I pick out stuff. One of the things I want to start out with. This is October, and usually in October we have in the past. Although we've been doing this for ten years, so I say in the past we did quite a few years there, and I have shirked my responsibilities somewhat. I have been informed by my engineer that we need to do some haunted winery. We used to do that in October, and we talked to haunted wineries back in October. We had some fun interviews with them. And also, Joy Neighbors had been on the show a few times. She was a haunted enthusiast, and she has been on the show and all that. I need to get a hold of Joy, too. I haven't haven't talked to her in a while. I don't know what she's doing and all that, so it would be fun to get a hold of her. But I'm going to give you a list. I looked up on Wine Traveler and I found a list of eight haunted wineries in North America. Most of them are in California. Why? I don't know, but that's what they listed here. Most of them in California. Berenger Winery uh, is uh, very popular. If you've ever been to California, if you've ever been to Napa Valley, you've been to Berenger because it is the oldest one uh, in Napa Valley. It's known as the very haunted location. It is a chateau style, uh, reminiscent of some of the French Bordeaux countryside, the architecture and all that. Hauntings have been reported upstairs uh, in the Frederick Berenger's bedroom. And objects have been reported have been thrown. And they've heard people walking in the halls and on the stairs. Uh, they maintain a file there. Oh, I was just brought my evening wine. I'll talk about that in a second. They maintain a file where all the reported paranormal activities are logged. And they say it's quite a large file. So Barrington Wine, if you're in California, do that. I just was served the evening wine. This is uh, my engineer brought it in to me. 1,000 stories. This is bourbon barrel aged, becoming very popular now, bourbon barrel aged wines. For some reason, it's the thing. This is a California Zinfandel, 2016. This is batch number, what does it say, 50? I guess it says that. Yeah, looks like a 50. 
on the back. It says, years ago when I was just starting out as a winemaker, it was almost unheard of to go to get French oak wine barrels and American oak wine barrels were for whiskey, not wine. But we still needed barrels to age our wine. So we purchased new and used bourbon barrels. Today, American and French oak wine barrels are commonplace. So the inspiration for 1,000 stories is a nod to the very thing or to the way things were. We've selected new and used bourbon barrels for these batches of Zimadon, which impart characteristics specific to these barrels, charred vanilla, dried herbs, and a hint of caramel. And that's all it says about it. And it's bottled by 1,000 Stories Vineyards out of Mendocino County. So there you go. Uh, that's my wine tonight. I love Zimbabwe anyways. I've never, never disappointed in Zimbabwe. Oh, it's got that classic Zimbabwe aroma, that little slightly herby, herby and a little earthiness to it. Nice and dry, very, very dry. I like, like that. Tannins are present, not overpowering, but definitely tannins in it. The acid, I think, is balanced, although Manjaneers always thinks everyone is acidic, but I think it's well-balanced. It's got some dry fruit-type flavors to it, and a pretty decent finish here. It's hang, hanging on a little bit here. So 1,000 stories of one of them I think we picked up at our tasting we went to back in, uh, at ABC Liquor, so... Give it a chance. Give it a try. I can't remember the cost right offhand. I'll outside quote you the price on it. But 1,000 stories. So I'll be stopping everyone to take a sip of that because it is extremely good. Next one we have for you for a haunted winery for October is Trecklin Family Vineyards and Winery, also in Napa. This is uh, recognized as a bootleg operation back in the 1920s and early 30s, and it was uh, the uh, winery was founded as early as 1886. It says about it, and I quote, when founded by brothers George and James Goodman in 1886, the winery was known as Eshel Hebrew for Valley of the Grape. During Prohibition, the winery was rumored to be a bootleg operation site. One story tells of a young man who broke into the old winery to steal liquor and was ca- caught in the act by bootleggers. According to the tale, the bootleggers lynched the young man, hanging him from one of the interior selling, uh, ceiling beams of the upstairs area of the winery. End quote. It has been reported people have sensed and even seen the course of that gruesome event unfold, while others have told of seeing the shadow of a human-like form swinging overhead. So there's a little haunted winery there. Uh, Treflin Family Vineyards in Napa. Next one, Bartholomew Park Winery in Sonoma Valley, California. Up in Sonoma. This is well known for taunting in history, more so than for its wine. I'm going to say I'm not familiar with Bartholomew. Throughout its life, it has served as a morgue, a women's prison, and a hospital which are great things to get hauntings from. Today is organically farmed winery located not far from Sonoma's main plaza. Within what is now the winery's main building used for administrative purposes, ghosts have been seen and heard. The basement was originally used as a morgue. The cellar where wine is stored once housed female prisoners and voices have been said to be heard Speaking and singing. So that's another one. If you're out in Sonoma, check out Bartholomew Park Winery. Don't know what the wine's like, but definitely sounds haunted. Dry Creek Vineyards in Sonoma County. This is Hillsburg, California. Difficult to discover on your own 
as most of the stories are told by word of mouth by employees. Dry Creek is said to be haunted by Indians. Its site was once a Pommel Indian reservation. Numerous all heads and different artifacts have been found around the property and in the vineyard. American Indians reportedly have been seen across the property and eerie events have occurred inside the winery building. Cell phones have gone off in strange unexplained circumstances. Lights have been turned on and off and doors have been locked and swung, unlocked and swung open. So, uh, and the Wine Institute itself has made a point of documenting the occurrences since they started happening. Then we go to New York State, Marjim Manor in Appleton, New York. Uh, Margot Sue Bittner owns and operates Marjim Manor Winery in Appleton. She spends most of her days both pouring wine and telling ghost stories. The original manor was built in 1854. <laughs> <laughs> by, uh, by for his wife Sophia by uh, uh, Chevelle Merritt, he passed away during construction of the property on a Thursday afternoon. Following a hunt that Chevelle and his son Louis had participated in, the father-son team returned home. Chevelle is said to have been cleaning his gun in an end room and had closed the set of French doors behind him. Louis went upstairs and later. Returned in a hurry, bursting through the doors. Darrell Shabu ended up shooting and killing his son at 3 p.m. that Thursday in 1865. And that's just the beginning. Since that time, numerous other deaths have occurred within the home, and several spirits are said to haunt the property. Today, it is said that numerous strange happenings tend to occur around 3 p.m. on Thursday in particular, and that's when his son was killed. Wine tasting is very inexpensive. You can taste four wines for as low as $3, which is really cheap anymore for wineries in New York, California. So we're staying in New York at Miles Wine Cellars in Hemrod, New York. That's in the Finger Lakes areas. This one location where the owners actually embrace the possibility of spirits. And they don't want them to leave. They love them there. So much so that their Chardonnay blend is actually named Ghost. Uh, the owners, David Miles and Susie Hayes, operate the winery even now. A quote, one day about 10 years ago, Miles was in the office and Hayes was in the nearby kitchen. She walked into the living room just outside the office, then opened the door to walk up the back stairway to the second floor. Miles heard the door to the stairway slam, so he went to the stairs to ask her what angered her to the point of slamming the door. As he stood in the doorway, he heard a footstep in the kitchen. When he looked into the kitchen, which is immediately next to the stairway door, he, he saw a mist rising from the floor. It formed at a height nearly equal to his, then flew through the living room in what is now a retail room and out of the house, slamming several other doors along the way. Miles' father was routinely awakened during the night by someone pressing on his back, and the comforter from the, his bed was frequently flung across the room. It is still quite often found crumpled at the base of the bedroom door. So, there you go. Miles Winesaw. That sounds like it's very haunted. I need to make a note of Miles Winesaw. Maybe I can get a hold of them. Miles Wine. Cellars. My pen's running out of ink. Cellars. And Hemrock. New York. Okay. That is done. So, try to call them. See if they'll talk to me. Next one, we go to South Carolina, or North Carolina, the Biltmore House. We've talked about Biltmore House before. To this day, the Biltmore House and Winery remains the largest privately owned estate in the continental United States. It was constructed in 1886 by George Washington Vanderbilt from his famed Vanderbilt Industrial Fortune. 
The Biltmore House sits on approximately 125,000 acres of land. Wow. Grandchildren of George Vanderbilt may have since opened this estate to the public visitation, but that doesn't mean that the original owner has decided to leave. Quote, during his lifetime, Vanderbilt was particularly proud of his library and would spend a considerable amount of time there, poring over some rare edition or other. It was Vanderbilt's particularly, uh, particular habit to retreat into the library when he saw a storm approaching. His ghost may be continuing this habit, as workers and visitors for the estate are said to have seen a shadowy figure in the library, usually when the skies are dark and there's an oncoming storm. But that's not the only occurrence. They've heard splashing coming from the pool when nobody was around or there, and they've heard George's wife, Edith, is said to be heard whispering his name, calling him to retreat from his library. So Biltmore Estates, if you ever get a chance, visit Biltmore Estates. It is gorgeous, and it's, it's well worth the tour. I think they give tours there. And the last one on our list is from Missouri, Belvoir Winery, Liberty, Missouri. We have talked to them there. There are some great ghost stories there. Even the Sci-Fi Channel's uh, ghost program that they did was an episode from Belvoir Winery. The Belvoir Winery is built on 1900. It sits on 240 acres of land that formerly belonged to the Order of Odd Fellows. That was the last property owner. But previous to that, it included being a hospital and a children's home. So that is uh, uh, an old folk. I said children. I'm sorry, old folks' home. So the property has been served as an orphanage. Oh, I was right here. I'm reading on this. I, old folks' home and orphanage at one point a hospital, and there's a cemetery where it contains as many as 600 bodies. So as far as hauntings go, it is really just about a little bit of everything. There's all sorts of stuff that has happened there. They tore down one building. I can't remember which one it was, but they tore down one building. I think it was the, the, it had to be the far Northern building. So, Pianos, all sorts of stuff going on there. If you're visiting October, which is now the winery, op offers open paranormal investigations on Fridays. So get your tickets and be part of it. The wine tasting is free. The wine is great. And the haunting costs, uh, costs a little bit. I don't know. It doesn't say here. But it usually sells out. So if you're into the haunted winery, Belvoir Winery in Liberty, Missouri, which is just north of Kansas City uh, by about a little over a half hour. So a great location, great place. I've, I've been, actually, I've been to this one, and it, it's really a, a beautiful place, and people are really fantastic. So there's a little bit of a haunted winery tour, and I'll see if I can't get a hold of Miles Wine Cellar and see if maybe we can... Uh, get them on the show so next week coming up on foods today's the 17th which is national pasta day so prepare yourself a pasta dish and open yourself up a bottle of wine depending on your sauce if you have a real thick heavy red sauce open up a bottle of cab or even zimadol a thousand stories zimadol uh, would be nice uh if you have a lighter sauce or a little vinegar oil, some or not vinegar, a little oil sauce. I'm thinking salad, a little oil with some herbs in it. Mix that in with it, which I enjoy that. That's very good. Get yourself a lighter wine. You don't want something real heavy to overpower that. So that is today, National Pasta Day. Tomorrow, National Chocolate Cupcake Day. Can't think of any wine that would go with that, but I'm sure you can come up with one. Saturday's sweetest day, and I hear about that every year. The sweetest day, I, I, I don't know. And National Seafood Bisque Day, I like seafood bisque. That's very good. Sunday, National Brandied Fruit Day, 
and National Seafood Month and Day. So this is National Seafood Month also. So, and it's also day Monday, National Pumpkin Cheesecake Day, and International Day of the Nacho. See how popular the nacho is. It's got an international day. And also National Apple Day. Now, Apple, National Apple Day. This was something I was curious about because someone said, I read an article, I want to say in the Smithsonian Magazine about apples. And it said that there are over 7,000 different varieties of apples. I go, no, that can't be right. But then I looked up and found out that there are. There are 75,000 different varieties of, or 7,500, I said 1,000, 7,500 different varieties of apples worldwide. 7,500. The United States grows about 2,500 of these, and just about 100 of them are grown commercially. They're grown in 36 states, but Washington, New York, Michigan, California, Pennsylvania, and Virginia are the top producers by far. So, lots of, lots of apples out there. I never realized. Uh, oh, Johnny Apples, he was a busy little boy, it looks like. But 7,500 different varieties of apples worldwide. I think they said that it's only about 300 of them, something like that, are edible, are used for cooking and stuff. Let's see, I think there's you know, 750 cultures are, or eating apples are known. So 750 of them are edible, but 7,500 of them are available around the world. Wow. So Monday, National Apple Day. Make your choice. Prepare it any way you want to and pick a wine with it. Tuesday, the 22nd National Nut Day. 23rd, National Boston Cream Pie Day. Ooh, I like Boston Cream Pie. And then next Thursday, National Bologna Day. So make yourself a big, thick bologna sandwich and have yourself a glass of wine with that. And uh, suppose you can have uh, chips with it or something else you want. And next Friday, the 25th, I noticed this because it jumped out at me. Is National Greasy Foods Day. Why would they promote that? I don't know. But National Greasy Foods Day coming up on the 26th, uh, 25th. But there you go. There's your foods for this coming week. And uh, match them up. Pair them with wines and enjoy. I've got reminders here. And I've got a couple of wineries I want to tell you about. Number one, the New York Wine Experience is coming up this weekend. October 17th to the 19th. If you're there in New York right now, congrats. If you are attending this right now, give us a call. I would love to get you on the show and, and talk about it. So if you are attending the New York, it's, it's quite a thing. It really is. It's, it's a great weekend out there. But if you're attending Wine Spectator's 39th Annual New York Wine Experience, October 17th to the 19th. There's all sorts of stuff going on. You can still make it for the next two days if you want to make a trip up there or get in touch with them or something. But if you are attending this, give me a call. I really, really want to talk about it on the show. And that's that's it. I'm not going to say anything more about it. Don't forget, Wine Spectator's Grand Tour is going to be hitting in 2020, April 22nd in Chicago, 25th in Las Vegas, and May 1st in D.C., Washington, D.C. So, but I repeat, if you have attended the New York Wine Experience this weekend, get in touch. And one other that's coming up that's not too far away is the San Francisco Wine Competition, the uh, San Francisco Wine Comp want to check it out online, SF Wine Comp. Uh, the thing is great. I mean, it's fun. It's the uh, people can attend and stuff, and it's a competition. So 
That's coming up November 9th to the 11th, and the deadline for entry, if you're a winery or associated, October the 18th, which is tomorrow. So you need to get on top of this if you're going to enter into the competition. A couple of wineries here. Let me clear some stuff off my screen here that I don't need. And here we are. Uh, oops, not that. Let's go back one here. A uh, couple of wineries here that have sent me emails I want to tell you about. Number one, Prescott. Prescott is a winery. It's also a great place to buy supplies if you're a winemaker or if you are the home enthusiast. If you are doing wines for yourself at home, Prescott can cater to you just as well as they can to the big time winemaker. They have all sorts of stuff. But right now, the reason I'm telling you about them now is their last call for Italian juices. They got um, Brunello, Nobiello, Suave Classico, Tucson Russo, uh, Frescati, and Treviano. So these are all available at Prescott in different sizes and stuff. Uh, anywhere from six-gallon pails or a 58-gallon drum. So you can get in. doesn't say the price, but you can get a hold of them by going to Prescott. Our PIWines.com, I believe it is, yes, PIWines.com. They also have others. Uh, new juices are available. Steuben, Concord, Tremonet, Riesling, Vi- uh, Niagara, Vinoles. <laughs> uh, also, they have some young wines, that is, they say, are ready. Fredonia, Civil Blanc, Steuben, Cuyaga, Chancellor, Niagara, Bruno Veltliner. So, bunch of them are available through them. Again, in six-gallon containers, uh, some of them are by gallon, like the new wines, young wines are sold by the gallon until they run out. And coming soon, Chamborson, Vidal, and Catabla. So, great place to get your juice and a great place to get supplies. So, if you're a wine enthusiast, but don't work for a winery, then Presque Isle, P-I-Wine.com. Uh, let's see, P-I-W-C at B-N-Contact.net. Okay, there we go. P-I-W-C, Presque Isle Wine Cellars. So P-I-W-C at B-N-Contact.net. You can go there and find just about everything you ever wanted or needed in wine supplies to do it yourself. And then you can be a winemaker and come on the show. So, Prescott. I like Prescott. I used to get a lot of supplies from them. They were great for information, too. They were very good about answering questions and helping me troubleshoot stuff and all that. I just, I love Prescott. Tablas Creek Vineyards, their blog is out again. Again, if you don't have their blog, if you haven't signed up for it, do so. It is an interesting blog. They have a whole bunch of stuff that is always available on that, uh, different past ones, and talk about the harvest and all sorts of things on it. So Tablas Creek. Tassel Ridge Winery out of Iowa. Is releasing their Oski Fizante Cranberry. Being released this weekend, the 18th, 19th, and 20th. It's a cranberry wine, obviously. It's the cranberry. Plus, they have wine dinners and all sorts of different things. Going up tomorrow night, wine and wood fired oven calzone day. Ooh, that sounds great. And the calzone will be served until 7 30. They're open from 11 to 8. Wine and wood-fired oven pizza day is Saturday, this coming Saturday. And then throughout the weekend, they will be releasing their Oski Fizante Cranberry wine. So that's coming up again. They are located in Iowa at uh, Test Ridge, 1681 220th Street, Lighton, Iowa. You can get all of them at Tassel Ridge. Yeah, just tasselridge.com. 
and uh, let's see, I've got a couple more wineries here. I'm sure. Whispering Oaks is always our French, just north of us. Whispering Oak Winery is having their award-winning steak night this weekend, as they do just about every weekend. Uh, $28.50 per person does not include tax, gratuity, or any alcohol. Get reservations, 352-748-0449, east of, or I'm sorry, west of Ocala, that area there. And they also have music concert and barbecue coming up on, uh, get your tickets for later in the month, uh, afternoon music and barbecue. And they also have Whispering Oaks Winery and the Rotary Club of the Villages are partnering for a charity Texas Hold'em tournament. That sounds like fun. $50 per player for poker tournament ticket and light appetizers. $5 additional buy-in for 1,000 chips. And $40 rebuy until chips run out. Sponsorship tables available for $500 donation which includes eight poker tournament tickets. So that's, oh, that's good for them. That's an interesting thing. Plus they do weddings and all sorts of stuff. They have music uh, lined up for the rest of October here for the last couple of weeks. Located in Oxford, Florida. Go to winesofflorida.com and check out what's going on there and what they're doing. A uh, fun place. It really is. It's a nice Nice venue and nice place and uh, nice people. Really nice, nice spot to visit, sit around and drink wine and do all sorts of stuff there. So, let's see. I was going to talk about some stuff tonight that I found and I want to give oh, pass on to you. Just some interesting things here. I think I covered all the other stuff. What's that? You you were breaking up a little bit there. I didn't hear what you said. Who, me? Yeah. Did you say something? No, I didn't say anything. Oh, I guess it was just, you know, white noise coming in. Okay. Oh. Uh, yeah, it sounded like, sound like you said something and it broke up. Oh, wow. Okay few things for you here, a few things to talk about, not uh, just interesting stuff. First thing here is Calhorn. Calhorn? Calhorn filled with manure, actually. Livermore Valley, we talked about biodynamic in the past. So we talked about biodynamic wineries. Well, Livermore Valley has a new biodynamic winery. Uh, Livermore Valley is located east of San Francisco, and just well, actually east and south, more east of San Jose than San Francisco. And Page McMill Winery is now in Livermore Valley, and they are doing full-fledged biodynamic. They are putting the cow horns in the ground and doing all that stuff. So uh, after 14... Whoa! Wait a minute. What happened? What is this? Okay. What? Well, when you when you get on to websites, they start doing they start doing their own thing. <laughs> pause. No, not play. Pause. I'm gonna pause. Uh, yeah. When there's a video on there, they start starts playing automatically. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You, everybody's done that. Okay, so Livermore Valley are doing a biodynamic uh, Page Mill Winery. Uh, it incorporates chickens and baby doll sheep to keep the pests and the weeds out in the middle of the vineyard. It does their uh, horn planting and uh, plant mixtures and nutrients and everything else. You want I'm not going to get into biodynamic I've talked about in the past if you are interested in learning more about it 
I have some past episodes that we've talked a lot about biodynamic. You can check on the website and look on the list. Mike is very good about documenting what is on the show, so you can check that out. There's other biodynamic wine reasons to know in Napa. Uh, Orejo Estate, Joseph Phelps, and Rich uh, Hills are all been doing biodynamic, but this is the first one into Napa Valley. So interesting. I, biodynamic is a movement that I don't know. I, I I don't know if it makes a difference, but it is very very popular. So we'll see as time goes on. I'm sure we're going to start getting more and more of them. And let's see what else we got here. No, this is. Interesting. I don't know if you're a Star Trek fan or not. Star Trek has been on for hundreds of years. Uh, H&I Network plays Star Trek shows every night. Um, the original series and Second Generation and Deep Space Nine and Voyager and Discovery. No, not Discovery. Enterprise. And so every night they have those on. These things were, have been going on for years. Well, if you are a Star Trek fan, you will understand this more. And if you're not a Star Trek fan, just, you know, take a sip of wine while I'm talking about it. But the next Star Trek series is called Picard. And it's about Jean-Luc Picard, who was the captain of the Enterprise in the series The Next Generation. Well, that was on from 1987 to 1994. And so Picard is back, a return of Picard. And a lot of the original crew, it seems, is going to be on the new show, is scheduled to be on, I think, the end of this year. I'm not sure exactly when the screen time is. But one of the things that they did on the original show was Picard went, home to visit his brother. He's from France, and he went home to visit his brother. And the name of the show, let's see, I just saw it here. The the name of the show was, well, where is it? Oh, I can't find it. Well, whatever. But he went back, and it was like, fast forward to he was old, and he was sitting there visiting his brother. Then he got young again, and everything worked out between him and his brother. And the wines that they were going, uh, the property made a Grand Cru in 2267. And then the new trailers of the show, the Bourgogne French Comete, is written very large over the top, Chateau Picard. And it's been replaced, uh, the Pinot Noir there has been replaced by Syrah. And the first glimpse of the Picard family vineyard come up. Here it is. The, fa- the episode was called Family. Jean-Luc returns home for the first time in 20 years and has trouble with his brother. But at the end, as always in TV, everything has worked out within an hour. And they were hugged and said goodbye. But he returns to the USS Enterprise with a bottle of 2347 vintage, which he mistook for 2346 over dinner a couple nights before that. But he opens this up with Chancellor Durkin after first contact with the Macaulians, which all doesn't make any sense. The vineyard appeared again in the final episode of the Generation Series, All Good Things, when time-shifting plot, Picard finds an older version of himself in the family estate and that's how the series ends when he does that but two empty prop bottles of Chateau Picard were sold at the 40 years of Star Trek auction in 2006 for $6,600 now I remember I said two empty prop bottles uh, it's a pre-estimate of $500 to $700 and ended up selling for $6,600. It was at a Christie's auction. So Star Trek obviously is very popular. Uh, the, the location is distinctly California in appearance. And, well, obviously the show is recorded there. And it has never been a very 
uh, Picard is not really a very French type person in his manners and in his speech. So, but the uh, real Chateau Picard wine, and there is a real Chateau Picard, which is owned by Bordeaux Negociant House um, Mailer Beast, and it's located in the state Estefe. And it's going to be available in the United Kingdom, or it is available in the United Kingdom to the Wine Society, and I'm sure it is available in the United States to the Wine Society too. So, but I just found that interesting that they're they are promoting it even more, and they're talking about it even more. Chateau Picard uh, from Star Trek Universe, and there is a real one. So go to the Wine Society website and. See if you can find it. I didn't look it up myself because I'm sure it's way too much for what you're getting. But interesting little little bit there for you. Next thing we have is as soon as I pull it up here, my computer tells me it's ready. It does. Next one we have for you is Supreme Court ruling. Okay, now. We talked about this two months ago, I think the ruling came down. The Supreme Court says, and this was a Supreme Court ruling of Tennessee law. The majority of the justices struck down the Tennessee's law requiring people to live in the state for two years before they can get a license to sell wine. <coughs> Oh, excuse me. Let me take a sip of wine. I'm talking, not drinking. All right, thank you. Two years before they can get a license to sell wine in Tennessee, and the immediate impact, once the Supreme Court ruled it, Total Wine and More could keep its Knoxville store and Doug and Mary Ketchum, a small winery, was able to stay in business in Memphis. So this, because the Ketchums were shipping wine, what it did was it opened up direct shipping in all the states, forbidding, well, 37 states forbid out-of-state retailers from shipping wine. And it said that's unconstitutional. Those laws are dead. And the Wine and Spirits Wholesale of America then issued a statement saying basically that nothing has changed. So, here's what the decision basically means. You can order wine, but people from other states weren't able to. If you lived in like New Orleans or even Florida and stuff like that. Chief Justice, I think he's chief. No, maybe not. Justice Samuel Alito's opinion in the Tennessee case struck down that state's durational residency requirement, which found that it's unfairly discriminated against out-of-state businesses. Several other states have similar laws, and they are basically unenforceable. But Alejo did not say anything anywhere in the decision that laws preventing retailers from shipping wine across state lines are unconstitutional. He didn't say they were constitutional either. He focused his ruling on the residency requirement. He also did not get rid of the three-tier system, which most states use. And despite cries from retailers and state governments that striking down Tennessee's law would undermine the three tiers, I also said nothing that would do so. So, it's, as far as that goes, it is still business as usual. While he kept his narrow ruling, the reasoning provides a great deal of hope for direct wine shippers as it's struck down the Tennessee law constrained the power of the 21st Amendment. Section 1 of the amendment repealed prohibition, but Section 2 
gave the power to regulate alcohol to state governments. Section two is the reason wineries often say that they're doing business in America is like doing business with 50 different countries, which is true. I mean, each state has their laws. It's ridiculous. Since the amendment passed, however, the court has steadily constrained its power, ruling that Section 2 does not mean state governments can ignore the rest of the Constitution, which is very true. Then there's the Commerce Clause, which in a past episode, which was very interesting, I talked to a former state legislator, and I think it was just state or, or yeah, former state legislature, and I had him on a program talking about wine, and he brought the Commerce Clause. He said if wineries ship based on the Commerce Clause, there should be no restrictions across lines or anything else. So this also now is referring to the Commerce Clause, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3, assigns the power to regulate interstate commerce to Congress. Thanks to the Commerce Clause, states cannot erect trade barriers or any type of restrictions in and out of their state. They can't change the fact that everywhere else in the country, trucks can be 54 feet long driving around. And then once you pull into Florida, it is no longer legal to have a 54-foot truck. You have to have a 50-foot truck. That They can't do that because that's that's illegal. So... He also, uh, Alito, also writes Section 2 only trumps the Commerce Clause if a state's law seeks to promote health or public safety, which basically where the predominant effect of a law is protectionism, not the, the protection of public health or safety, is not shielded by Section 2. So, Health and safety is the key. Mississippi says ban alcohol sales to promote sobriety. That's fine. But if Mississippi allows longtime residents to sell wine or prevents recent transplants from signing, that's not okay. Oh. The decision that states could allow in-state wineries to ship wine consumers while forbidding out-of-state wineries from doing the same is illegal. Tennessee versus Thomas in a 7-2 decision further strengthens the Commerce Clause at the expense of the 21st Amendment. That is something to, to look at here. Now, a lawyer filed four lawsuits challenging retailer direct shipping bans in Indiana, Kentucky, New Jersey, and Texas. He has pending cases already in Illinois, Missouri, and Florida. And so the new ruling by the Supreme Court was well, not new anymore. It's about five months old. Is battling in courts now in these states because of the Commerce Clause. So it's a matter of waiting and seeing. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen yet. It is an ongoing thing, an ongoing battle. And this battle is affecting a lot of people, a lot of people out there who are wine enthusiasts who want to get wine from different states. But because of these antiquated, if you will, laws, they aren't able to. Now, just in the newest thing I saw, where is it? Here it is. Okay. This, I just saw a couple days ago, this came out. This is, uh, uh, well, literally two days ago. Let's see, today's the 17th. So this came out yesterday. And it's says, in the long-term, legal experts are saying the precedent set by the ruling could expand out-of-state shipping options for consumers and could create potentially new competition for wineries. 
It's saying it's both an opportunity and a challenge for wineries all across the country. But if the consumer wants to have a relationship with one winery, they need to be thinking, how do we establish that and how do we enforce it? And because of the Commerce Clause, they can probably get by with it. So most uh, most states now allow out-of-state wineries to ship directly to consumers uh, despite uh, pushback from the ruling from 2005. But there's going to be continued fights now. There are 12 states about out-of-state retailer shipping that uh, is open-ended and no problem. But there's a lot of them that you can't ship in and out of. Freethegrapes.org is a great site to go in and see if your state falls in that category. They tell you what states can ship into and out of. One of the worst states, Utah, they're very strict. Kansas is another one that's very strict. Arkansas and Alabama uh, are, are still pretty strict on what they can do. So, Lawsuits continue. They continue, and they continue to look at what's going on. They continue to do it. They expect, because of the lawsuits, it's a good possibility, and not out of the question, that this could end up before the Supreme Court again for a more explicit ruling instead of just a a generality, which it boiled down to. So we'll see. It's something that's coming up in the future there. Next one I have on here. I really caught my eye. A red wine compound for treating anxiety and depression. Well, we have to say yay, don't we? If you've got anxiety or depression, drink a little bit of wine, and it's better. A findings from a new study published in the magazine Neuropharmacology. The article titled The Antidepressant and Anxiolytic Effects of Reservatrol Involvement of uh, Phosphodietricity 4D Inhibition. I have no idea if I said that right. I probably did not. This sheds light on resveratrol and how it helps. The resveratrol may be an effective alternative to drugs for treating patients suffering from depression and anxiety disorders, said uh, Dr. Ying Zhu, uh, PhD, MD from uh, UB University, UB School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical sciences. Man. Resveratrol, which has been linked to a number of health benefits, is a compound found in the skins and seeds of grapes and berries. While it's identified, resveratrol has have antidepressant effects. The compound's relationship to that PDE4, which is a long word I just destroyed, it's an enzyme that is influenced by the stress hormone, was unknown. But then they did studies. They started to do studies on how it affected the stress hormone, and it went on to here, and I'm not going to go through all that because it's just a pain. But interestingly, resveratrol displayed non-protective effects against cortisone by inhibiting the expression, uh, uh, displayed protective effects. I said uh, neuroproductive protective Neural protective effects. Let me start over. Forget what I just said. Resveratrol displayed neural protective effects against corticosterone by inhibiting the expression of PDE4. All other stuff did not inhibit it, so therefore depression and anxiety affected people. Resveratrol inhibited the stress-induced depression and anxiety-like behaviors because it's blocked 
PDE4. So, yet another reason to drink red wine. And if you're depressed, sit down and have a glass of wine. It should make you feel better. Another sip of wine. Excuse me. Uh, so, yay. Always something new, always something exciting for wine. And there's another one for you. Resveratrol can can do it. Can can make you feel better. Okay. What's this next one here? Uh, is this oh Japanese wine. I'm sorry, I knew it was going. I still chuckle. <laughs> Japanese, the rise of Japanese wine made with kushu, kushu grapes. K O S H U. Kushu? Kushu grapes it is becoming very, very popular. Uh, Japanese enticing white wines fit neatly with the latest global wine trends. Kushu wines have floral aromas, they're delicate, distinctive flavors, and low alcohol levels, usually around 11-12%, and they are exotic, if you will. Uh, the uh, Merchant House in Katsunama, which is about 70 miles west of Tokyo, as three brothers working in a tasting room. And they have unique grape variety, kushu, that they've been working on. They're different types. One is elegant and sparkling. Another is fresh, bright, and lemony. And a third is succulent and tangy. Yet still another comes out as savory and smoky. And a fifth barrel fermented version is round, rich, and smooth. This is the different types of wines you can get from the Kushu grape. The vineyards are unique also. Uh, the Lemire family, which is Oda's family-owned wine in Japan from 1885. Kushu vines look like small trees with branches spread eagled on wires six feet off the ground. Uh, folded paper hats are tied overhanging branches like miniature umbrellas to shelter grapes from the rain. There is a lot of rain and humidity. The thick skin is resistant to rot because of it. It uh, Another area, Yamashi, is a 90-minute train ride from Tokyo, and it has about 81 of the country's 300 wineries and over a 1,000 years of history of grape growing in the area. And one of their grapes that they plant is obviously Kushu. It is... A very popular grape now all over Japan. It is becoming the Japanese grape. It is the uh, uh, the variety of uh, not the variety the the ability for the grape to present itself in so many different ways is something that makes it so interesting and intriguing for the Japanese. Um, there is a Sauvignon Blanc and Merlot being planted in some of the areas. Uh, there's a vineyard just off the uh, mountain, Mount Fuji. There are vineyards around there, and they are planting Sauvignon Blanc and Merlot. But Kushu uh, is becoming a very, very popular one in that area. Also, the uh, hybrid in 27, okay. They, they've planted, <coughs> excuse me, other grapes have been planted around the areas and different ones and all that. But uh, Kushu becoming the wine they think is could make Japan, uh, it's, it could be Japan's signature grape if they continue to do as they're doing now. Uh, 
the grape is or the wine isn't available yet all over the place. You have to look for it, but it is again, you can probably look online for different wineries. Uh, I would tell you the different ones to look up, but these are Japanese names. I will destroy it. You'll never know how to do it. But just look up Kushu Great. That's the best way it is. K-O-S-H-U. And that will lead you to the wineries and also let you know if it is available in the United States. But the thing is, now, if you get a get a Kushu Grape and you taste it, then you say, ooh, I don't like this. This is horrible. Try another type because there are so many different possibilities for the wine in uh, styles and in the ways they make it that if you don't like one, you may very possibly be able to find another one very easily. So, Kushu Grape. There's a... Uh, uh, let's see. I Oh, and one other thing to end you with here is science find drinking wine at night can help you lose weight. Oh my gosh, such great things about wine. It says, most people assume that having an alcoholic beverage at night can contribute to weight gain and hinder any attempts at weight loss. Well, this may be true for many types of spirits. It is actually not true for wine. Yay! New studies into the effects of wine on the waistline by Washington State University and Harvard Medical School have found that having a glass or two of wine in the evening can absolutely help you lose weight. The science works like this. The appetite-suppressing chemical, resveratrol, there we go again with that great word, resveratrol for red wine, is found in most wines on the market. And it is known for curbing the desire to eat and resisting the body's fat cells. The studies in question analyzed 20,000 women, 20,000, not a small sampling, over the course of 13 years and found that women who drank two glasses of wine per day, with one being in the evening, were 70% more likely to lose weight than those who didn't have a glass of wine. However, the type of wine you drink may have an impact on the efficiency of this weight loss method. So stick to red wines. Your white sweet wines aren't going to work. Sorry, we're going to have to do a red. As it is loaded with antioxidants, the report said. Red wine is believed to be able to boost heart health, protect against cancer, and potentially help treat acne. Wow. I wish I knew that when I had acne when I was in my teens. But back then, I couldn't do anything anyway because they wouldn't let you. So, there you go. It helps weight loss. So, we'll leave leave you tonight with that happy note that red wines will stop weight loss. I'm going to have to try this. We have to do it. Yeah. Have to see, if it see if it works to, and, and do our own scientific, uh, well, non-scientific scientific test and uh, see what that yeah. does. We can, we can just do it as a scientific test. I mean, don't do it. No, this is science. <laughs> yes. Got to do it. Yeah. Name of yeah. science. So, um, in the name of science, we got to drink wine. What a, red, boy, that resveratrol is really, uh, they're really finding something. out some good things about it. Yeah. Really good yeah, about yeah. It's amazing. It really is amazing. Some of the stuff they're finding about that you're right. Yeah. Um, so another one, and, and trying to put the last uh, screen up for the video part. Uh, I'm doing a lot of notes on on there tonight. Uh, yeah, a lot of different stuff. Yeah. Um, so we'll go ahead and end the show for uh, this week on October 17th. We will be back October 24th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, thank you to everybody for uh, tuning in. And um, we'll see you all uh, next Thursday um, right here on, uh, if you're listening to us on Facebook Live or on uh, Blog Talk Radio uh, in the archives now, it would be. Um, Thank you again, and uh, 
to join us next week at 7 p.m. for All About Wine. And thanks again. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you. Be safe out there. Okay. I didn't know you heard that. Um, what did I play the, that other time? Uh, or the door closed? No, it was something else. I played the ghost sound, and you, you laughed at that. I didn't know you heard yeah, it. Yeah, I heard, I heard the ghost sound. I heard, the, I heard all of your yeah. little things you played back there. You know, the door closing and the ghost sound and the dong. But I had, the, I had the thing off when, when I was – we'll have to do a test on uh, it. Hold on. Oh, we're still right. Let me close the Tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. And we get experience. It's done. That is off. Let's see where we're at. Are we in the oh?